Hey everybody, welcome back to Question Field, the place where you ask the questions and we feel them. A description that's becoming more and more true with every episode. Isn't that right, Campbell? It is, yeah. We've got our second listener question today, uh, which is pretty exciting. So, yeah, and we, we've had a couple of uh, couple of weeks off. We've had some, well, I've been traveling a little bit and, uh, and things like that. All Campbell's fault. Indeed. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> Just <laughs> no, like any no, scientific no. errors, it's, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> you've been doing a lot of flying recently and you've been doing a lot of like spelunking. And I got to ask, like, why are you so afraid of the surface of the earth that you're trying to avoid it? <laughs> That's true. Um, I'm, I'm sort of afraid of, uh, of life. At least that's what my, my girlfriend thinks. Yeah. I was trying to kill myself in, in more and more elaborate ways. Yeah. Um, above or below, yeah, whatever just, works. Yeah, exactly. Well, you got to do these crazy things while, you know, if you get the opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. How about, uh, so yeah, Campbell, do you want to bring us into this week's question? This is a good one. Yeah, sure. Um, well, let me, let me get up the the message that was written by listener Hamish. Um, so thank you, Hamish, for, for writing in. Um, and this one's quite, quite different from last week. It's to do with Hamish's sort of personal interests. So here's a potential question. This is from Hamish. As a keen cyclist, there has been a question amongst cyclists lately about rolling resistance, obviously something important to us. In particular, a school of thought slash body of evidence that perhaps counterintuitively rolling resistance is less when tires are bigger and pressure is lower. Uh, and then in brackets, hitherto it was assumed as axiomatic that the higher the pressure and smaller the road surface area in contact with the road, filling in the gaps that, you know, the, the, the higher the pressure, the lower the rolling resistance. That was assumed as axiomatic. Uh, and then he asks, can you discuss slash explain? So that is the topic for discussion uh, for today. Yeah. Love a question when uh, you can throw in the word axiomatic. Those those questions get shot right to the top of the list. <laughs> Very educated right in. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, usually, sometimes we're self-referential about the title, uh, but Campbell, I want to start by asking, do you think a good title for this episode might be uh, Where Does the Rubber Meet the Road? <laughs> that is a good one. Yeah. Because there's a lot of... Uh, and how much heat does it generate? A lot of theory here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of theory and then a lot of practical application. So... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We both had a bit of a deep dive into this. Mm. I, I, there's there's so much... There's there's so many jumping off points. Uh, where do you want to jump off? Yeah. So we maybe we should both say that we've, we've both sort of had a, a grapple with this question and done, uh, done some research. And I get the feeling that, you know, th this is sort of the border between... I guess, physics and engineering. And, you know, it's obviously mm. a very practical question. And I, I think that, you know, in these sorts of realms, things become so much more complicated than, <laughs> than I'm used oh, yeah. to. Oh, yeah. it's, it's like, you know, yeah. well, we've got some nice pictures and nice theory. And then in reality, it might be very different. So, um, oh, and yeah. that's, that's what Hamish sort of alludes to in his question. Um, but maybe, yeah. maybe we could like start with the, kind of as we always do, start with what is assumed to be true or what was assumed to be true, um, maybe the kind of cartoonish sort of picture of, of why that might be true, and then we can go into more of the reality of the situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, the first thing I wanted to do when this question came in was just, I wanted to just get a better sense of what rolling resistance is, because I, I, I thought, I, I had an idea, but I, I wanted to be sure. Yeah. 
good to get the definitions right. Yeah, yeah. So what is rolling resistance? So I guess essentially it's, you know, when you're talking about friction, it's just in, in this specific case, it's the friction between your tire, your wheel and the road itself. Yeah, it's like anything that is, well, I, I, I understand that actually some people define it differently to others, but we can sort of imagine it as anything that is preventing uh, any force that's acting in the opposite direction to the direction that you're traveling in when you're on a bike or indeed when you're in a car and anything like that. Yeah. And there's this, I guess, rotational element to it as opposed to holding the brakes and pushing your bike. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. Road. Yeah. It's sort of, yeah. it's the resistance that is incurred by um, the bike traveling on its own. Uh, it, you, you're not adding some force on top of the the normal motion of the bike. Right. Right. And so the next thing I wanted to do just to get a good idea for this was I did what I tell my students to do all the time. Let's make a force diagram. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I mean, if you, you can kind of get very, uh, very detailed with this. I, <laughs> I stopped after five forces. Um, so <laughs> that's, that's, that's a lot of forces. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so, all right. So here's what I got. Mm -hmm. uh, a little checklist here. We got the weight pulling us down. Mm -hmm. We have a normal force holding us up. Sure. We have whatever applied force, however we want to think about that, of you pedaling or the tires pushing out, like whatever's causing you to go sure, forward. Sure, sure. Uh, Which I guess is ultimately friction between the, the rubber and the road. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be some aerodynamic drag. Yep, yep. Due to the bike mm -hmm. and your your body. Mm -hmm. And and then last but not least, this, this rolling resistance, sure. which is going to be yeah. pointing yep. opposite where you're trying to go. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And some people, um, when they discuss this, they sort of incorporate the aerodynamic drag into the rolling resistance. But for for our purposes, I think we'll we'll keep those separate because they're very different mechanisms. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. And and what's the what what did you sort of discover was the origin of this rolling resistance? Because I've got I've got something that I was reading about uh, to do with hysteresis. So basically, the kind of energy. Oh. Yeah. We'll get there, but um, the sort of hysteratic losses. Not not to we got we got to dangle dangle the that carrot in front of everybody. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's we, it. We will get to the hysteratic losses. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, so where I went from there was I started. I just refreshed myself on friction. It's very mm. simple, very basic equation. Right? Friction is equal to mu times your normal force, mm -hmm. um, and that, that's the general one. And then I guess there is a more specific one for rolling resistance, which uses. Hold on your rolling resistance will be equal to, instead of mu times the normal force, it's C times W. The W is for weight, which is just, I guess, the inverse of your normal force. Mm -hmm. And then C, this is where it gets complicated. Number one, because of course, we don't use C anywhere else for anything important in <laughs> physics. Um, <laughs> yeah, true. This bike's traveling at the speed of light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So it's from what I gather, it's more specific than mu because it takes in, it takes a lot of things into consideration, such as uh, like your wheel design, sure. your pressure, sure. the velocity that gets involved. It cares about the material. Uh, I mean, so mu also cares about the material, mm. right? Mm. In a general case, but obviously in this case, it does as well. So in both cases, this this constant mu or c, this is called the coefficient of either friction or rolling resistance, right? So the, the mu will be the coefficient right. of some friction force and C is going to be the coefficient of, of rolling resistance. 
it's just sort of right. It's some property of the material and the interface between your materials that sort of determines the magnitude of the friction force. Yeah. Right. And so you mentioned those two names. There's a third name, ah. which is the more common name, which is uh, apparently this is what bikers mean when they talk about grip. Mm. So generally, you want your grip to be smaller. Mm -hmm. Smaller the grip, the better. Well, asterisk. Uh, <laughs> the smaller the better. So uh, this coefficient of friction, so for example, rubber on uh, asphalt is going to be about 0 0.68. Okay. And I think it's a dimensionless unit. Yeah, uh, right, because both... Is uh, it a ratio? Yeah, it's a ratio of two forces, yeah. And so you want this to be lower. Uh, well, f for there to be less friction, you want, there to, you want this to be lower, mm -hmm. but you don't want this to be too low. So, uh, right, because then you have no grip. And you can't accelerate. Right. I see. I see. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, or or it's it's more difficult to to stop or to turn or anything like yeah, this. Yeah. Um, so this is why it's like you don't want to take really tight turns when you're driving and it's you know it's raining outside. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, when I was when I was researching this, I discovered that I have no idea how cars turn, uh, and <laughs> and by extension, I don't know how bikes turn. So I think it, it would be kind of <laughs> it would be interesting to talk about this a little bit when if if we get time because it's a little counterintuitive but sure anyway let's uh, let's stick yeah, with the topic yeah. for now yeah oh this was fun y'all call it tarmac everywhere apparently <laughs> as opposed to asphalt as asphalt sorry yeah yeah here in the states the tarmac is it's a location and that's where planes are and that's it <laughs> and then everything else is asphalt yeah right no but this is where i think we're getting into the the hysteretic losses or the yeah. hysteresis yeah so so one of the or or really the the main origin of of rolling resistance where where this all comes from right yeah do you want to tell me what you got about hysteresis and i'll uh <laughs> compare notes <laughs> i guess this is this is very specific to uh, kind of inflated rubber tires, um, but you know, obviously these are these are used uh, in all sorts of scenarios and with all sorts of vehicles. So it's very general in that sense. But basically, the idea is that rubber rubber is this interesting material that uh, if you if you deform rubber, so you kind of compress it or uh, or sort of stretch it, uh, you have to put in some energy to do that, right? You need to uh, you need to apply force. Um, over some distance, and that's that's doing work. That's energy. And when you let go of that force, and the rubber re returns to its original length, you get some energy back. Basically, there is a difference though between the energy that you put in and the energy that you get back. And uh, basically, that that difference is um, what's what's called hysteresis. Um, so uh, yeah. So and and you you sort of find these. If you Google hysteresis, you get these curves uh, that you you kind of um, they're they're called shear strain curves. So you you apply a, a strain, uh, you you apply a or, or is it shear strain or force strain or something like that um, curves. You apply a force, you that equates to some strain on the material, and the uh, and that sort of traces out a curve. But then the curve that it traces out on on the way out. So as you as you're stretching, stretching the material, that's a different curve than you see on the way back when the the material is being compressed again. At the and the uh, the importance of these two things is that basically the area diff, or the area that's enclosed by these two curves they, this forms a loop, and the area enclosed there is the um, is the energy that is lost from deforming that material. And so basically, you you just get sort of you know 
you kind of um, stretch out the the polymers in in the rubber, and when they stretch when they compress back again, some of the some of that energy that you put in is converted to heat, and that's that's the reason that you don't get all of the energy back in uh, in terms of mechanical energy. So yeah, and that basically what that means is that as your tire is is contacting the road, it deforms because it's uh, being there's some load on that tire, and the rubber. Uh, that's in contact with the, with the road it deforms to be flat, sort of around this area um, called the contact patch. So that's the patch of the rub- of the tire that's in contact with the road. And because it's deformed, it um, uh, you know there's some energy that is being put into that into that rubber. And when it when it keep continues rolling and that patch changes, some of that energy that was used to deform the rubber is converted to heat, and so you lose that. Um, you lose that energy um, that you put in. Uh, so basically, you know, that that energy initially came from you, from your body, turning the pedals, and it has ended up heating up the tire instead of moving the bike forward. And so that's that's the sort of original origin of um, of the resistance. Yeah, that that might not have been the, the clearest explanation, but well, all right. Well, let me let me, let me supplement. Yeah, sure. So yeah, so another example of this that I found is. I've never I've never tried one of these, but apparently um, another example of hysteresis you can see it is in those uh, memory foam beds. <laughs> if you've ever seen those commercials where you put your hand in and the bed will like your print will your your hand will be in the bed and then slowly it'll come back. So that's yeah. an example of high hysteresis. Um, and so yeah, and so another aspect of this besides the the heat, like apparent like you need a good balance because you don't want your tire not to deform a little bit, right? Mm. You want it to be mm. able to absorb some of that hit a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you don't want it to be so good either because let's say you hit one bump and your tire compresses in a little bit. You don't want to then hit another bump and then you're already in your closed rigid state and then there's no there's no more give to give, right? Um, right. And then that's where you can start to get things like um, punctures and... Yeah. That's when the material will start to break down, and like so, it's it's this balancing act of like you got to try and get the the Goldilocks zone of <laughs> of hysteresis. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I don't know if that meaningfully added to what you were saying. But well, no, no, no. I think that's that's a good point. Oh, yeah. So that with the memory phone thing, the the key similarity between those two cases is the memory aspect. Is the fact that the current mm, state yeah. of the material kind of remembers its past so in the memory phone that's that's an obvious case but in the in the tire case um it's again if you apply a particular force to the rubber the deformation in that rubber depends on if the if you're kind of increasing the force or decreasing the force so it remembers if in the past you were increasing or if you were in the immediate past you were decreasing so yes and um, another another example yet again is in magnets. So if you apply some magnetic field to to a ferromagnet or a paramagnet, the the spins in that material want to align with the field. And mm, if yeah, you yeah. right, and it, and if you apply a very strong field, they all align. They they form this nice uniform pattern, all pointing in the same direction. That's what gives you a magnet. But then if you turn the field off. Uh, they stay in that same orientation. They stay aligned, so they sort of remember the fact that in the in the recent past there was a strong magnetic field that was causing them to point in that direction. 
Yeah, yeah. But this is a good point. The This is coming to what we'll get into later, which uh, is that you don't want actually too high a pressure. And the reason is that there's actually another component to rolling resistance, which um, is, yeah, which is going to mean that, that this hysteretic effect uh, is not the only important thing to consider when uh, when sort of calculating rolling resistance in your head or on a yeah, yeah. <laughs> on a piece of paper when you when you're sort of calculating the the perfect tire inflation <laughs> right right there was another sort of picture that i i had in mind or or had encountered when doing the uh, research for this which is basically a picture in terms of of pressures uh so and and it's sort of a little bit more intuitive as to where this force comes from why you know why is there this rolling resistance force i mean we can see that energy is dissipated from kinetic right, energy right. into heat but where's this you know why does that mean that there's some force kind of um pushing us in the in the opposite direction to where we're traveling right so you can imagine that the contact patch that we were talking about before the patch of rubber that is in contact with the road some as as the tire is rolling, some of uh, the rubber ahead of that patch is now forming that patch. It's being compressed, mm, and then some of yeah. the rubber is uh, is losing its compression. And so now, because the road is applying a force to the rubber, it's compressing the rubber. The um, the rubber is also applying a force in the opposite direction to that, and uh, so it's in a, it's applying a force on the road. So there's this. Um, this equal and opposite force happening at the um, at these uh, front of the contact patch where the rubber is being compressed, but there's also a force being uh, generated on the other end of the patch, right where the um, where the the rubber is sort of losing contact with the road, and so this is all these forces are all forming what's uh, what's come uh, what is the normal force that's point pointing up. If you imagine a tire which is not moving, right? The the wheel is not not rotating. Um, at each each point in that contact patch, there's there's the road is sort of pushing up on the tire. There's a little force vector which is pushing up through that through that tire. Uh, but when it's rolling, the compression force is needing to be taken into account. And so the the tire at the start of the contact contact patch is experiencing a greater force uh, from the road pushing up on it than the tire at the back of the contact patch, which is being decompressed. And um, because of hysteresis, that that force profile is not symmetric. It's sort of skewed towards the front of that uh, of that contact patch. So if you kind of add all of those uh, all of those vectors together and look at kind of a resultant vector that is pu- pushing up on the on the tire, that is ever so slightly uh, towards the front end of the contact patch. And so then if you if you imagine it's as if the road is kind of you know if you if you imagine just holding a wheel in in midair by the axle and you kind of push up right on uh below the center of gravity of the um of the wheel so sort of right below the axle you just push up with your finger nothing happens right but if you push up on the on the wheel a little bit to the front of the axle all of a sudden, the wheel will start to rotate slowly, right, and right. the further forward you push on that wheel, the faster it's going to rotate. And so the direction of rotation is in the you know in the opposite direction to which it's rolling. It's it's backwards, right? So this is where the the rolling resistance force actually comes from. It's the fact that this 
that all of these or that this resultant vector um, from the from the road pushing up on the tire is located slightly to the front of the axle. So um, and that that effectively sets up a moment. Um, right. Yeah. You're trying to turn the wheel one way mm -hmm. and the road is trying to ever so slightly go the opposite push way. it in the opposite direction exactly right yeah yeah, yeah yeah so that's the the kind of origin of this force that's sick <laughs> <laughs> that's sick yeah so yeah so when i was going through all this now that i had a better understanding or a be better definition more solid definition of rolling resistance yeah i, I wanted to like rephrase the question a little bit because mm. um, i guess i guess what bikers care about is their power output essentially right how much energy are they using yeah, right yeah. because if you're using less energy you'll have more energy to go farther faster etc sure so the assumption the general assumption is that having higher pressure and less surface area is better because mm. you'll have a lower um, coefficient of rolling resistance but then this there's this like neighborhood wisdom <laughs> uh, perhaps that you you actually will do better if you have a uh, a, a slightly wider tire and, you know, cause it's going to have less pressure in it. And you, and even though you'll have this higher coefficient of friction, mm. the, there are more long-term gains to that. Yeah. Um, and, and that, and that kind of goes against intuition. Um, yeah. Could I just unpack a couple of things that you said there? Sure. Just sure. very quickly. Yeah. So firstly, you said higher pressure means smaller contact patch, right? And you would expect that that has a smaller coefficient of rolling resistance because uh, there is less rubber that's being deformed, right? Right. And so yeah. that means that there's less energy loss happening because, um, again, not all of the energy used to deform the rubber is gained back again as mechanical energy. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. That's the sort of, that's the, the reason that most people would think that higher pressure means less resistance. But then also with the, with the wider tire thing, um, you can also understand that a little bit in terms of the contact patch area. So interestingly enough, if, if a wide tire and a thin tire are at the same pressure, the area of the contact patch is going to be exactly the same. And the, the reason is that, uh, there's the same normal force being applied from the road to the tire, right? And, uh, there's the same pressure in the tire resisting that force. And we know that pressure is uh, force divided by area. Um, and so that means that the if the forces are the same, the area has to be the same. So, okay, so that, that means that uh, the, the contact patch area is going to be the same for both of these um, tire, inf uh, tire widths, but the shape is going to be different. So the, the narrow tire will have a longer contact patch and the wide tire will have a sort of shorter contact patch and a fatter one. And... If you imagine that picture I had before with the kind of resultant vector uh, pushing up on the tire, the longer one is going to have a vector which is which maybe is uh, further to to the front than the wider one, and so that could result in you know a, a greater magnitude of the resistance force. Yeah, I mean that that's kind of where my first thoughts were going when I was thinking about this because you know it's this great misconception. Uh, I, I guess the classic example is, you know, does a book experience more friction if it's, you know, laying on its spine and you're pushing it all on, across the table or if you have it on its cover and you're pushing it across the table mm. and it actually doesn't matter 
right? Because yeah, uh, yeah kind of just as you're saying, right? As you you might be increasing the surface area, but at any individualized local point, the weight it's feeling is not going to be as much as if it was on its on its spine with that smaller area, right? There's there's going to be that greater uh, localized weight or pressure, and I guess that's kind of what what you're saying with the what's going on with the with the tire, right? It's mm. there's going to be that greater not greater. It's going to end up being the same patch mm. area. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the the difference is, yeah, as you say, normally normally with uh, sliding resistance, so with friction, no- normally you expect that the surface area doesn't play a role. Mm-hmm. And as we're saying here, the area is the same, but it's but um, you know there there are also sort of reasons that wider tires give you more grip um, on on the road. So it's a little counterintuitive that with this. Yeah, with with rolling stuff, <laughs> sometimes the the surface area does actually make a difference um, to yeah. to resistance. Even though, you know, in in high school and university, in me- uh, mechanics classes, you're sort of you have drilled into you that that uh, surface area doesn't it doesn't matter it doesn't change matter. Yeah, yeah, friction. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then, and then there's also like just a practical end to that too, because nobody wants to ride a bike that has the wheel from the Flintstones car, <laughs> right? Because then you're not going to be able to, you know, turn very, you know, yeah, <laughs> turn very well at all. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so this is the point where I realized that there are there there are just so many variables yeah. that go into this for any specific person and mm-hmm. what are your goals as a biker. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, one interesting thing I did find was We'll we'll link all of this in the show notes, mm. of course, everybody, if you want to check these out. Um, but there's a couple of websites that did the math, and it seems like, generally speaking, there is a linear relationship between the power uh, you need to overcome this friction, which, uh, so essentially, like, going twice as fast, you'll need, you just, you got to use twice as much. Uh, oh, so it's... It's linear with speed. Yeah. So the the graph I'm looking at here is power to overcome rolling resistance, and it's so it's a linear relationship between right. the power output and the speed you're you're going to be going. Yeah. So if you're going at ten miles per hour to get to twenty, you'll need to essentially double um, what you're doing, and that's true more for bikers. Mm-hmm. I looked at another graph that um, you know when you're when you're driving in a car and you're yeah. up to like 80, 90, 100 miles per hour then actually mm. it, it starts to become a little more exponential. But for human ranges okay. on a bike, it is. Yeah. It seems like it's just a linear uh, relationship. Um, something that I, was, uh, that I was alluding to was this sort of other component or another reason that, uh, or yeah, uh, another origin of rolling resistance. So I don't know if we want to get into it. And th- th- this is, you know, going against the, the wisdom yeah, of yeah. Uh, higher pressure equals higher. Um, or lower rolling resistance. Sorry. Um, mm-hmm. So, and this was uh, this was born out in experiment. It wasn't just totally theory. Uh, so there were tire companies and you know biking companies um, that were interested in this, and it was um, it was found from from basically uh, putting a bike on a seri- on a bunch of rollers. And, you know, so it was stationary and you, you would sort of see how, um, uh, how much pressure, uh, how, how much, uh, force you had to generate to, uh, get this thing moving and, and how long it would coast for and things like that. 
and you could you can determine the rolling resistance from that and they did know they they did find that higher pressure resulted in lower rolling resistance but obviously that's not the real world and they, these rollers are are effectively simulating an incredibly yeah. smooth yeah. surface so if you're cycling around a velodrome that might be actually quite a, a useful heuristic basically just make your tires very very uh high pressure because mm. it's um because there's no imperfection to that surface yeah, yeah. but as soon as you start introducing some imperfection to the surface what right. happens is that as you increase the pressure of your tire more of the impact from from these small collisions between the tire and these imperfections gets transferred not to the tire deformation but to the suspension of the bike the frame of the bike and to your body right so this this mm, yeah. person riding the cycle is an integral yeah. component to determining how this resistance actually is generated and effectively what happens is that as these shocks are, are uh, transferred to your body, they there are sort of vibrations that occur in your body and in the frame of the bike. And just as before, some of that mechanical energy is converted to heat. So there's sort of friction happening in your body, and your body heats up because of these um, mm. because of these jolts with the with the bike colliding into imperfections in the road, and. And so that that slows down the bike as well, yeah. because of the fact that energy is uh, the mechanical energy of the bike is being converted into um, heat in your body and in the in the frame. So you don't actually want too high a pressure in your in your bike uh, tire, because the higher pressure you have, the the more that this um, that this effect dominates when um, when considering the the rolling resistance. And so there, there are these these curves that um, yeah. that this uh, cycling blog has constructed from um, from experiment. So basically, determining how how quickly uh, a bike coasts to rest at um, on various surfaces, and they find that you know with with uh, as you increase the tire pressure, initially the coefficient of rolling resistance decreases, so the rolling resistance gets less and less up to a certain point where it starts to increase again. And at that point, the heat generation in your body starts to dominate the rolling resistance. Really? Yeah. Yeah, this is the... So it's quite interesting. You can sort of see this little this little valley where you get the perfect tire pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But again, yeah, it's, it's really up to the, the surface that you're riding on because as you get from, uh, you know, from very, very good asphalt to um, very rough asphalt you that that valley moves back and back and back in the tire pressure so you you need lower and lower tire pressure to hit that sweet spot yeah yeah again like just going back to all of these different factors it's like mm. we haven't even touched it we haven't even touched on atmospheric pressure yeah. or you know what's the heat outside temperature. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and and like the yeah if there's any water on the road things like that yeah yeah do you want my dubious solution to this problem, Campbell? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Again, everybody be safe. I'm not saying do this. I'm just saying <laughs> here's an idea. Yeah. Bikes have two tires, right? Your first tire can be your thin, high-pressure <laughs> tire. <Yeah. laughs> Make your back tire a little wider, a little lower pressure. See how... It, no. Uh <laughs> 
No, yeah. I mean, for, seriously. I mean, let me ask you, Kev, do you do you mm. ride a bike? Do you have a bike? Yeah, I bike I, I have a bike currently with a flat tire, so that one's not very <laughs> useful. And I have a spare bike as well, uh, because yeah, it's sort of getting around Cambridge is the it's definitely the most useful way. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, yeah, because that's that. It's like. I think I think to answer Hamish's question, it's like what what are your intentions? Mm. Like, mm. If, I think I think if you are like you have a need for speed, <laughs> and if you if you're like on if you're in a race and you have a patch where the road is really good, mm. and you want to hit that patch as efficiently as you can and at your top speed, like I don't know, maybe maybe the the margin is there where that becomes a difference. Mm. Um, Mm. But I think in general, if you're just biking about and uh, like here's like something else, like, you know, we've been talking about the science of this, right? But there's all uh, the the physics of this, but there's also Mm. this psychological idea of like, are you, are you comfortable on your bike? Yeah. Like when you go into a turn, does that, do you feel safe? (laughs) Like, and to your point, you know, when you're hitting those bumps, if you're, if it's really jittery like that becomes an unpleasant ride right and so if yeah. you're just looking for comfort you can mitigate that and i don't know maybe there maybe i, I wonder if there is such like, i wonder how big the gap is between like the energy you're saving or so you're losing energy from your your body vibrating because of all these jolts mm. and i wonder yeah. if there is a noticeable gain from you know not losing that energy and being able to put that into you know pedaling yourself forward i don't well i think so and i think it's a double gain right because yeah. as you if you get more comfortable your body is less uh is is undergoing less of this this really horrendous vibration which means yeah. that less energy is being lost to heating up your body and so that means you know less rolling resistance but also psychologically it feels better and you you can go for further without uh feeling so much discomfort that you want to drive your bike off a cliff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, it's a win-win. And on this, um, this, this website that has uh, collated a lot of this research, their heuristic is effectively comfort equals speed. So the more mm. comfortable you are, the faster, faster you'll go. Yeah. Yeah. And, but yeah, I, I think up to a point, you know, it, it's, uh, it is actually kind of noticeable. If your tires are really underinflated, you do notice the fact that it is, kind of harder over over the same distance of time to get um over the same distance to cycle that distance it's um yeah it's more of a pain so certainly you don't want tires that are underinflated. but if you go on to it really depends again what sort of cycling you're doing because if you go to mountain biking they have much right. uh, much yeah. lower pressures and you know this is this is common knowledge everyone uh reduces the pressure in their tire if they're going on dirt tracks and things like that. And part of the reason for that is uh, as soon as the ground that you're driving on can deform more, you need to uh, take into account the losses that are going to come come from uh, the energy that it takes to deform that road right, surface. Right. So if if there are irreversible deformations that you're making, so it's you're, you're cycling in sand, then you don't that energy is just lost right you you don't get that mechanical energy back again but if there's you know there's a little bit of give and there's there's some elasticity uh to the road surface you're back in this hysteresis um area again where the uh 
the energy that it takes to deform the material, the, the road surface, is less than the energy that you get back again. And so, yeah, you, you, if you have a very highly inflated tire, then um, it's more likely that you're going to sort of uh, irreversibly deform the surface and you're going you're, you're gonna to carve out a sort of greater divot, divot in this surface. And that's, yeah, that's going to slow you down. So smaller yeah. pressures. Yeah. And, and you just run the risk of popping your tire uh, a little, a bit more. Um, yeah, that's true because I, you're, you're rolling over these, these rocks and stones and things like that. And you want to have some give to your, uh, to your tire. So one of the websites I was looking at was talking about uh, somebody that was in an Ironman competition or yeah, Ironman. He was an Ironman competitor. Do you, do you know the Ironman triathlon? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, I, I, I have some family friends that uh, did that a while ago. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so for anybody Insane. unfamiliar in Ironman <laughs> triathlon, you start by doing a 2.4 mile swim. Then you bike for 112 miles and then because that's not enough. After that, <laughs> you run a full marathon. Um, so that's like just over 140 total miles in one day. Absolutely insane. <laughs> yeah. I think the record is about seven and a half hours. Wow. But they were, so this one website I was looking at though, they were saying that they were not looking at this world record case, but they were looking at an Ironman competitor. And mm. because of the type of tires he was using for the bike portion, in the in the ideal case where the mm. roads are perfect and everything's wonderful, the if the resistance the coefficient of resistance was lower, he could have saved ten to fifteen minutes. Mm. Um, but that's apparently not again because of everything we've been talking about. Like mm. you know, you want the maneuverability, you want the comfort, you don't want to have to change yeah. a tire because it pops. And so yeah, yeah, seven over seven and a half hours. I don't know if ten to fifteen minutes makes that huge of a difference, but it certainly. <laughs> You know, you hear about some of these tours in like Italy and France, you know, basically all over Europe, right? And, yeah. you know, you might be a part of a, a race that's like three or four days long, but the competition might only be a minute apart at the final. And so, yeah, yeah. The, like, it's it's just so interesting the 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 margins you can get on this. And, you know, absolutely. Who, who goes with one tire yeah. pressure versus another? <laughs> Yeah, no, and it really a, becomes more than more more than just the bike and the the rider. It's like you need to think about your environment. You need to consider the weather. You need like yeah, all of these things. It's it's really fa really fascinating. Absolutely, and and it also depends on the type of tire that you have. It you know it depends if you have a you know an inner tube or a tubeless tire. Mm. Um, and I've I've seen graphs where you go from sort of 70 or 80 psi to 130 psi so you sort of you have a fairly wide range of of pressures and and the and you you look at the the rolling resistance and it's just sort of ch uh, for various for various tires it's just changing totally erratically so yeah, and the, yeah. these are sort of real world tests so it it really you know we, we've got these nice theoretical ideas but in very real world practical applications it's sort of like a bit of a gamble and you just have to feel it out, you know, <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah. depending on the surface and again, the, the, the weather, um, the temperature, you're going to get different ideal pressures that you're, uh, that you can, that you need. And particularly with, with, uh, you know, temperature is an interesting one, right? Because in fact, the, 
the pressure in your tire is going to change over time as you ride that bike, right? right because right, yeah. as you keep on deforming this rubber and more and more of the energy that you put in is converted to heat, the tire heats up, which means the air in the tire heats up. And so the volume that it wants to take up increases, you know, the ideal gas law. Um, and as you increase the temperature, you also increase the pressure of that, uh, of that gas because you can't increase the volume. So it's, yeah, as you, as you keep on cycling, you get higher pressures over time. But it may not be that much uh, of a change. So, I mean, it's, again, real world. You, you need to actually do yeah. the experiment to, to see. Yeah, yeah. Or like we said earlier where the rubber meets the road. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's a good way to, you know, mm. quote unquote, answer this question. Like it depends, mm. it depends on a, <laughs> it depends on a lot, but yeah, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, let, let the air out. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, reduce some of that pressure and, uh, <laughs> but also just, yeah, it's just experimentation and feeling comfortable really is the, is the best answer, I think. But there's something that I was I was not able to get a really good handle on, which was how does this question of pressure play out when you're doing turns? I think most experiments have been done when bikes are going in straight lines. And mm, yeah, yeah. there are really different forces and, uh, yeah, for, forces and things in, that you need to consider when you're doing turns. So this is going back to what I said at the beginning. I don't really know how. <laughs> I didn't know how, how vehicles turned. Yeah. Because I, I didn't realize that actually the, the patch, the contact patch, when you turn a wheel uh, in a car or on a bike, the contact patch, because of friction, it doesn't, it doesn't rotate. Um, it's sort of, there's this patch of, of road, which, um, or patch of tire, sorry, which is in contact with the road. And that is kind of like, uh, effectively, the, the grooves are still traveling in the same direction and the rest of the tire rotates a little bit. You know, ideally speaking, right, right, it's a bit of a idealized picture, but there's this sort of angle between the uh, the grooves effectively on the contact patch and the rest of the tire, and this is this is called the slip angle, and boy, what a what a name! <laughs> yeah, yeah, but apparently this this name is is really misused. It's you know people kind of talk about slip angle when they're when cars are drifting and things like that, but that's that's not uh got anything to do with it this is you know while you're just normally turning a car under low speeds and normally the slip angle is really really small it's like maybe one degree or something like that um and then if you get go to racing racing cars and you know formula one and things like that and you get really high performance tires you can get larger um uh, larger slip angles and effectively that means that you can get um really good turning uh for for, for your car um, before before it fails and you you drift out, um, because the for for low slip angles the turning force the the cornering force is what it's called. So the the force that's pulling you around this corner is linearly dependent on the slip angle. So you turn the wheel a little bit, you generate a small slip angle and a small force pushing you around the corner. You turn the wheel a lot, and you know you get more um, in a linear fashion. And this is you know this is one of the uh, one of the features of a bike tire that also causes you to turn. But the difference is that you also have a really large um, camber when you're when you're cycling. so you you roll to one side to generate um, to generate this turning force as well. So there's there are multiple yeah, yeah. Um, there are mo multiple origins of the of the cornering or the turning force. 
that's generated on a, on a bicycle. And, you know, same, same with a motorbike. Um, but the, you know, this, this slip angle, when, when you, when you deform the tire kind of around the contact patch, that's, there's also some heat generated because of that, right? Because you're kind mm-hmm. of placing some strain or, uh, shear. I, I can't quite remember which, which word means like some what. Kind of, like the, the, <laughs> but, the rubber is twisting at that point, exactly. right? Is, yeah, yeah. Right. So you get the, you would expect to get the same sort of hysteresis effect. Um, when mm. you're turning, um, because of the fact that the rubber is being twisted and you need to sort of, you know, exert some force to do that. Um, yeah. and so you're losing energy again. So, uh, yeah, so I'm not under, I'm not sure like how much of an effect this tire pressure discussion has on the losses when you're turning, because, um, I do know that, uh, that the rolling resistance is increased quite a lot when you increase the slip angle. And I'm not sure if, uh, if that can be mitigated with higher pressure or yeah, I, I yeah. don't know. So, <laughs> I mean, this might be, maybe this, this answer exists out there somewhere, but, um, but I, I haven't yeah. found it and, um, yeah. So anyway, but it, but this, it may not be that important because, you know, most of the time you might be cycling straight ahead, but for mountain bikes, you know, when on a track that's always turning, maybe that's more important. We're going to need a mechanic. We're going to need a auto science guest. I'll start Googling. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. We take um, for granted. We, but it's, we take yeah, for it's granted just turning our cars. <laughs> yeah, we really do. We really do. Um, so anyway, it's a complicated, uh, complicated topic, but hopefully that kind of, I don't know, gives some, some uh, practical guidance yeah. Yeah. <laughs> from two people who um yeah well I, I can only speak for myself but i know nothing about bikes really i just hop on them and hope that they uh hope that they don't yeah. fall apart yeah i've i've not had a bike <laughs> god in 15 years mm. yeah it's uh it's been some time well i i, I don't think your part of the world is the is the most bike friendly oh, part not, of the world. not at all not at all <laughs> not even a little bit um no yeah. I, I would love to have a bike we have a bike shop in town I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna, to, I'm gonna take a walk there <laughs> after this episode. Wow, yeah. there you go. This inspired maybe a, uh, you know, <laughs> future pur- purchase. Hey, fun fact. Mm. Do you know why bikes, old bikes, used to have the really big wheel? Oh, like a penny farthing. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> the one where you kind of sit on top of the wheel and yes. it's and you're really high off the ground yeah 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 okay no okay so all right well so the earl the first bikes <laughs> if you they didn't have gears in them or not, not they didn't have changeable gears i guess they had to have had a, a gear but you sure. had to pedal the whole wheel for it to go around once and you yeah. can imagine that that is not super efficient and also, if you hit into like a curb or something, like mm. danger, Will Robinson, right? So, wh- why mm. they made the bigger wheel instead of having a switchable gear mechanism is you mm. could pedal the same amount, but because the wheel is bigger, you could cover more, more distance. Yeah, right. Okay, that that makes sense. It's like it's like uh, going into a into a high gear, right? Yeah. It's kind of the same effect. Yeah, yeah. And so it also 
looked pretty dope because the people that had these things, <laughs> they were they were like, it, yeah, you, you, it's like a fajita coming out of a kitchen. Like you, you, it's unavoidable seeing somebody come down the road uh, <laughs> with a big big wheeled bike, but also it increased the number of bike deaths, unfortunately. So not as uh, really not as fun oh. a fact as <laughs> oh, no, that is not so fun. No. What? Why did this? increase road deaths i mean was this just because people fell off them or yeah yeah higher higher fall distance right. and uh i, I guess see, i right. guess lack of lack of proper head protection um <laughs> yeah they were always wearing top hats that was the issue rather yeah. than bike helmets yeah. <laughs> um what <laughs> i just wanted to drill down on that uh simile there what why is that like a fajita coming out of a kitchen aren't fajitas the one they're like <laughs> You know, you come out like when you're in a restaurant and yeah. somebody orders a fajita and it's coming out of the kitchen <laughs> and it's so hot and everybody's like, oh, who ordered the fajita? They got to draw attention. Oh, okay. Right, right. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I don't go to that uh, that many Mexican restaurants. Let me, let me I, I double check that it, fajitas are the last ones, right? Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> the first thing that comes up on Google is a TikTok that's titled uh just be loud for no reason bro fajita (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so my point was it's it's unavoidable it calls attention Mm, Uh, yeah 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 i see i see um just just like a big wheeled bike (laughs) it makes a lot of sense makes a lot of sense um cool wow there you go what a what a place to end off (laughs) (laughs) yeah so anyway uh Hamish, thank you for your question. Everybody else, we have a couple other questions. Um, please send your questions in. We're really, we're really enjoying them. Um, yeah. I thought we had good questions, Campbell, but it turns <laughs> out everybody else has <laughs> awesome questions. So keep them coming. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get in a couple more, and then we're might take a little break, might put a cap on season one, but uh, you know. We, we want to get through as many uh, as as we can. We're, we're really enjoying this. So thank you, everybody, for sending in your questions. Thank you, everybody, that has reviewed and has been honestly too nice. I don't think we deserve how nice. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for the reviews. That That is incredibly generous, helpful. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to leave a review that's a little less nice to make it a little more realistic, uh, <laughs> we could always use some more. And just thank you, everybody, for sharing. And the, and the, the support we've been getting from everybody has been... Uh, really great so we're doing we're doing something right campbell we're doing something right i i yeah i i can only assume so um despite my (laughs) my worries (laughs) (laughs) there you go all right well until next time everybody this has been question field (laughs) (laughs) i'll leave that in yeah (laughs) yeah You've been listening to Question Field. Question Field is a game media production and is produced by its hosts, Campbell McLaughlin and Brian Buchanan. For more information, please check us out on Instagram at questionfieldpod, on Twitter at questfieldpod, and on TikTok at questionfield. If you have a question you'd like to submit, or would simply like to leave a message, please send us an email at questionfieldpod at gmail.com. Recently, the James Webb Telescope discovered five new stars located in the review section of your favorite podcast app. 
Thank you for listening.